You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. We really do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Oh, every day. Touchdown! You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for The Leap, a newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. Follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how to Today on the show, Justice Mosqueda from Acme Packing Company, my old shop, is here to talk about Joe Barry, to talk about how these injuries affect the Packers, what they're doing differently, offensively, defensively, all those kinds of things. Justice is great. Thanks to everyone who makes Locked on Packers their first listen of the day. And if you don't, try it out. Best way to start your podcast day. I turn on a podcast every morning when I wake up get ready for the day, have my coffee, have my breakfast, feed my son, and we got a podcast going. So I, I appreciate everyone who who makes us part of their routine. I want to, before we get to justice, continue this conversation about what the defense is doing, particularly in two phases, the pass rush and the coverage unit. This is from Field Yates. When opposing quarterbacks are targeting receivers against the Packers this season, they have a 56% completion percentage, last in the league. They are averaging 6.7 yards per attempt, second last in the league, and they they have thrown 10 interceptions tied for the second most in the league. They are, as he notes, doing this without Jair Alexander and without Kevin King for various stretches over the last few weeks. The the top-graded defenders by Pro Football Focus from this game, Adrian Amos, number one. He was unbelievable in this game. Kevin King, yes, that Kevin King, number two. Rashawn Gary, number three. Eric Stokes, number four. Preston Smith, number five. Preston Smith had eight pressures in this game. The Packers had 32 Pressures by Pro Football Focus on Sunday against the Seahawks. And it's not just that they had 32 pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. They did it with a four-man rush. This is from Next Gen Stats. The Packers were able to get pressure without blitzing. They had 13 pressures and three sacks with four or fewer pass rushers. They had a 37% pressure rate rushing four. Against non-blitzes, this is crazy. Against non-blitzes, Russell Wilson, 15 of 32 for 145 and two touchdowns, a minus 20.8 EPA. That is a six-year low for Russell Wilson. The worst he has been against the four-man rush in six years. Six years. They only blitzed. They only blitzed 19%. And they had a light box rate of 97%, the second highest rate by any defense in a game this season. They just played dime and said, we don't think you can beat it. And they couldn't. Another number, since you know I like numbers. So I have I have this bit, right? 
most rookies are bad and nearly all rookie corners are bad. Dari Carraher, uh, who, who writes a lot about the Packers, um, does some work for them over at Packer Report. He found a list of boundary corners to register a sub-80 passer rating when targeted in coverage as a rookie. So this is rookie corners who play well early. Being And let me reiterate, being bad early is not a disqualifier for being good or great. But being good early tends to be a really good harbinger of things to come for these corners. And let me prove it. Outside corners to register a sub-80 passer rating in coverage as rookies. Going back to 2015, Marcus Peters, Jalen Ramsey, Marshawn Lattimore, Marlon Humphrey, Trey White, Eric Stokes. And, And there hasn't been a corner who has done it since Trey White 2017. That means by passer rating, you're talking about the best outside corner season in four years. Now, do I think Eric Stokes, does that does that prove that Eric Stokes is going to be a stud? No, but it does tell you that he is in rare company when it comes to playing this well as a rookie. And he was incredible against Tyler Lockett who makes veteran corners look silly. And his speed shows up consistently around the field. And when you've got Kevin King, Russell Douglas, and Eric Stokes, that doesn't sound like a murderer's row of defensive backs. Eric Stokes is a former first-round pick. Kevin King, the former 32nd pick. But Kevin King was back on a one-year prove-it deal with incentives. Russell Douglas was plucked off a practice squad for injury and Eric Stokes was not the preferred starter to open camp, even if he should have been. The fact that they're doing all of this and then, of course, you have Shannon Sullivan, who played again. He is he is having quietly a very good season from the slot, had the one penalty in uh, uh, in a situation where it looked worse live than when you saw the replay and you were like, oh, my there was there was a lot of soccer being played by the Seahawks in this game and a lot of whining after the fact by Pete Carroll about all of the soccer being played and and not getting the calls when they felt like they deserved them. But this this group, they're not they're not busting coverages. They're not. I mean, sometimes they're falling down, they're slipping. You know, that's just something that's going to happen. They know where to be. That's coaching. That's preparation. That's playing with confidence. I think that's the big difference. I had a uh, a friend of the show, Jake Morley, ask me the other day, you know, what do you think is different about Kevin King? He actually said, I would love to read a Leap article about what's different with Kevin King. And, and I actually went back and watched the game just to look for it. And I just was like, it's still Kevin. It's still Kevin King. He's just playing with a little bit more confidence. He's playing a little bit more physically. And he's, yeah, he's, it seems like, and I'm, I'm psychologizing now, but it seems like he's less afraid to make a mistake that he's just going out there. Like, I'm just going to play and I'm going to play the, I'm going to play the coverage. And maybe it is as simple as he believes in the coverage and he believes in himself. And so that marriage, you know, you don't always believe in the coverage. You don't always believe in the call. You don't always believe in the DC, whether that's right or wrong. You go back to the Dom Capers days. You know, Charles Woodson had to go to Tom Capers and say, we need to change the way that we play. 
you'll you'll remember not too long ago, like this time last year, multiple Packers defenders went to Mike Pettin and said, we got to change this. This is not working for us. And they did, to, to his, Mike Pettin's credit, they did make some changes. But it could be that that he just wasn't wasn't comfortable. The shoulder, you know, maybe this is the first time his shoulder has been fully healthy. But this team is playing fast. They fly around defensively. And to, to be as good as they are without blitzing is such a testament, not just to the coverage unit, but the pass rush. 32 pressures. 32 pressures. And it's probably not really. Right? But even if it's 25, that is an unbelievable number. This Packers front four dominated the football game. Dominated the football game. And their ability to stop the run in light boxes. Like, look, it's one thing to say, we're going to play two deep safeties. We're going to play light boxes. And we don't think you're going to A, stay patient enough or B, run the ball enough to hurt us. And guess what? Teams are not staying patient and they're not running the ball. And it's not like the Packers defense have a great uh, run defense. They don't. But the offense is starting to score. Now they didn't on Sunday. But that's going to be part of their run defense moving forward. And they are doing enough in, in creating negatives. They're not committing penalties. They're one of the least penalized teams in the league. Can't have defensive penalties. You know, for example, the Buccaneers. They're one of the, the, the highest penalty teams in the league. They're so sloppy. And they were a highly penalized team last year until the, the second half. I, I, it is hard to see them flipping the switch the same way. Green Bay has been a disciplined team from the jump. Week one being a little bit of an exception. And, you know, they, they, have, they have better than a field goal improvement in their points per game from last year. Their ability to get pressure with four. Now, that might change Rashawn Gary, who says he's going to brace it up and uh, try and go this week if he's cleared. You know, having an MRI today, we'll find out more if there's no damage. Um, then, then he might be able to do that, you know, get the swelling down a little bit and, and brace it up and have him go play. Their ability to rush with four and stop the run with four, with these light boxes, with these five and six man boxes. Allow them to have Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos deep to disguise coverages, to play these, these mixed coverages, and play to the strengths of their defense. That's the goal. It is a, a, a remarkable turnaround, and I think there are a lot of apologies that need to be issued to Joe Barry. Maybe maybe starting with me. I, I was not quite as low on, hey, you know, I think this guy sucks. There, there were those voices out there. I was I was not that guy. I was just sort of like, mm, it's kind of an uninspiring, kind of an uninspiring hire. But I like the scheme. I like the the premise. And I felt like it meant that Matt LaFleur was going to be a bigger part of defensive game planning. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But it does seem like and Matt LaFleur gave credit to Jerry Gray. Jerry Montgomery, the defensive line coach, probably deserves a lot of credit. You know, the linebackers are playing really well. How much of that is Kirk Vidati? How much of that is Joe Barry, former linebackers coach? We don't, you know, it is very difficult to parse credit in these cases. They're playing fast. They're playing physical. They're playing aggressive. But aggressive does not mean blitzing. You don't have to blitz to be aggressive. You don't have to press to be aggressive. I mean, isn't it interesting? All the people going, why aren't they 
Why aren't they pressing? Why are they, why are they playing so much off coverage? They're playing a ton of off coverage, but they're not playing soft off coverage. Even on third and seven, they might be six, eight yards off, but they're not six, eight yards off and bailing. They're reading, reacting. It is shuffle, shuffle, break, and then find the ball, find the receiver, and, and make a play. It is not all reactionary. It is not, oh, I'm, I'm bailing backwards trying to prevent the big play. I'm trying to see what's going on here, and I'm going to go make a play. That change in mindset can be foundational, can be cultural, and it seems to have taken hold in Green Bay. In life, we're all bound for different things. With beachbound.com vacations, you could be bound for adventure, bound for passion, bound for discovery, or bound for togetherness, bound for immersion, bound for rejuvenation, or you may be bound for encountering the unexpected. Personally, when I'm at a beach beach resort, I'm bound to end up at the poolside bar or maybe creating my own taco flight, carnitas, carne asada, and then depending, maybe we go a little... uh, Shrimp, that'd be good. As long as I've got a good view with a good drink in my hand, I'll be happy as I can be. With beachbound.com, you can find the perfect beach vacation for you no matter what you're looking for. What are you bound for? Visit beachbound.com today. All right, joining me now from Acme Packing Company, my own stomping grounds, Justice Mosqueda is, is here to talk about the Green Bay Packers. A lot of injury news on Monday we hit that at the top of the show. We want to dig into some more of the nitty gritty here with Justice. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing solid. Victory Monday, right? It's a lot better than uh, last week's Monday. So exactly, exactly. And and it is a good time, I think, given the defensive performance, to dig in a little bit more. There, it is one thing for Joe Barry to come in and say, "We're going to tackle. We're going to play disciplined." And we're going to do things in an essence that the Packers defense has not done in a long time. And yet beyond the schematic changes and, and the players that they brought in, they are tackling and they are playing more disciplined just in terms of the fundamental part of this. What are you seeing there? Yeah, not, not very many explosive plays, even in the run game. Um, I think even, you know, new Orleans was probably their worst game against the run this season. It's not like they were ripping off 15 yard plays, 10 yard plays, you know, on the ground, like we're used to seeing with like Petten or something like that. Um, it really does seem like they're a very sound team, um, willing ca- tacklers in the secondary. Obviously the linebacker play is probably the best we've seen in at least a decade mm-hmm. uh, in green Bay. So the fact that, you know, the defensive line maybe isn't the strength of the team. Um, I think that kind of shows up in like their lack of like TFLs, I guess. But in terms of rallying to the ball and being able to get guys on the ground, like there's not a lot of room for improvement with this team. Like they're doing a pretty good job of it. And, you know, Joe Barry, we we know that he was coming from this this Brandon Staley Vic Fangio tree, and Matt LaFleur has talked about that. Joe Barry, he he kind of for his part downplayed that a little bit. Um, but this is a defensive scheme that has, or an ideology even that has really become popular in the NFL. So again, it's one thing to say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to play this this two shell. We're going to stop the run with light boxes and we're going to cover our asses off. It's quite another thing to do it. What have you seen in terms of the adjustments to the scheme versus, for example, what we saw with Mike Patton, who also wanted to play a lot of light boxes and wanted to really not care about the run and and defend the pass? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing with Patton was um, he really wanted to get guys on the line of scrimmage. 
And you see a little bit of that with Green Bay, but it's usually only in, you know, like pressure situations like third and seven plus or whatever. Um, with with Petten, he switches up his defenses so much. They really do have kind of it's almost easier to think of it as like a menu of defenses than like a single defense that they play. Like uh, when they get defenses backed up, they play like true four three. We saw that against San Francisco. We've seen that against other teams this season. Um, usually they base out of uh, three four. They do a good job of matching personnel, which is something that uh, Petten didn't necessarily do. So when I talk about like matching personnel, right? Two wide receivers, you're in base defense. Three wide receivers, you're in nickel. Um, you know, pressure situations are a little bit different. That's when Green Bay typically uses their dime stuff, and their dime stuff is usually three safeties, which is how Henry Black gets into the game. If you see mm-hmm. every single defensive snap, Henry Black is out there. It's it's almost dime. You can hang your hat on that outside of the Chicago game when uh, Savage obviously was hurt. Um, but they do a lot of interesting stuff. Like, they play, like, true nickel. Um, they do – that weird stuff where, you know, Burks is the edge rusher and, and they only have one true inside linebacker or they'll put three inside linebackers out there depending on what it looks like. And then probably the most unique thing that they do is they're like three defensive tackle nickel stuff. So they get Chan and Sullivan on the field and then they have three interior linemen, two edge rushers. It's basically a bare front. Just you take out an inside linebacker, you put in a corner. Um, the, that's interesting because you don't really see it at the NFL level. You know, the bare front is kind of very popular right now at the college level and like even high school. Um, it's essentially, you know, you get three, 300 pound plus pounders inside of, you know, the, the guard box. It dissuades you from running the ball. A little bit. The problem is <laughs> yeah. you need an inside linebacker who's going to play, you know, sideline to sideline and Devondre Campbell's really flashed in doing that. The difference is, you know, you can look at individual games and you can tell what their game plan is. And you can tell like, oh, they didn't do the three defensive tackle nickel in game X. Or, you know, they played real heavy in this game. Or they played true nickel in this game. The Seahawks game, it was like they went into dime more than they have at all this season. Um, and that was kind of like the key. Like you saw them on that first third down. It was like third and five, third and six. Henry Black is in the game already. And you're like, oh, so this is the game plan. And you know, maybe that was something where it's like, hey, you have an injured quarterback in there. Um, he's probably not going to be able to get under center, so they're not going to be able to run the ball well. It's really hard to run the ball out of the gun in the NFL if you only have one running back. Um, and there's not a lot of teams that two-back gun. So that seemed like it was the answer. You know, there was Russell Wilson in the pistol, right? I mean, that's stuff that, like, we saw when Aaron Rodgers hurt his calf and he mm-hmm. ended up playing against Washington on a short week on the road, where it's like, this guy can't he, – he can play football. He just can't get under center right now. So that seemed like it was uh, a lingering issue throughout the game. So I think that was kind of situation-based, but it's nice to see, you know, they're adapting. Um, It's not that same, you know, week one defense against the Saints or, you know, the first half against the Lions. It does seem like they've opened that menu up a little bit and they've experimented at inside linebacker, right? The whole Jalen Smith thing where they were basically only playing him as a nickel inside backer. They realized Barnes is better at that. Than Jalen Smith is Jalen Smith get off the pot and now we're ready to roll so <laughs> what have you seen from from Devondre Campbell because one of the things that has stood out to me so much this season is and this is I think it stood out to me because we haven't seen inside linebackers do it in Green Bay maybe ever and that is their ability to pass off these zone coverages where you are covering all of of the the gaps that zones can create because guys are communicating and Campbell is moving so much from really just from from like tight end to tight end spot just to make sure that they're they're covering that stuff. What do you what are you seeing from him? What is he bringing that that maybe they didn't have before at linebacker? 
I think it's that plus the fact that those guys on the interior are eating so much that he doesn't necessarily have like a gap, right? Like it's not like a uh, 4-3 defense, right? Or like the 4-2 nickel, like you kind of think of like a run pass conflict where you're like, this is the zone you drop into. And then that's the gap that you feel if you see run. Well, when you have three defensive tackles in front of you, you're kind of free to a certain extent (laughs) to play off tackle to off tackle. So as long as he's able to read run pass at a fairly decent rate, you know, it's able to get on quick. So he's able to say, Oh, is a drag coming at me? You know, a second into the play instead of two seconds and saying, you know, Oh, I have to plug the a gap. That's not really what he's asked to do. And then from there you have enough time to be able to pass things off and, and actually see it with your eyes. It does seem like they do communicate a lot. Like there's definitely calls on the field, um, especially with these mat coverages that they run sometimes. You know, they're a big spot drop team, but they definitely do a lot of the Fangio match stuff uh, at, at certain times, I guess I would say. The the big thing with the Fangio stuff is they essentially figured out so the difference between like uh the difference between like capers and Fangio, right? Capers would just be a spot drop guy when they're doing their zone blitzes. Like when they're bringing those exotics and stuff like that, they're just covering hash marks right hash marks landmarks whatever you want to call them on the field the fangio guys really started like doing match coverages like all the seattle seahawks like match three stuff um was like what fangio was doing out of blitz looks so they're able to do that um while still being like a spot drop you know quarters team sometimes and sometimes it's cover zero it's it's not a whole lot of man but sometimes you know it does come and there's hey there's a nickel blitz coming so it they do mix up a lot of stuff i would say you know, at this point, he does look a little bit more like Fangio than Staley, but he's also doing his own stuff that, you know, you really don't see in the NFL. Like I mentioned, the three defensive tackle nickel stuff, like you're not seeing that, you know, across the league right now. Yeah. And it's something that I that I think comes up a lot. It came up a lot with the, the Mike Holmgren tree, for example, where it's like, okay, you might be getting Andy Reid, but you might be getting Marty Morningweg. And at a certain point, you're you're just you're 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 just buying a system Whereas the best coaches are not just bringing a system, they're able to adapt it and change it every week. So to your point about, um, you know, the game plan this week is X versus the game plan next week is going to be Y. Let's let's flip that to the other side of the ball then with, with the offense because it doesn't look like Aaron Jones is going to be out there for at least a week or two. How do you think they have to change? Because the run concepts that they lean on with A.J. Dillon are not necessarily the same that they want to lean on with Aaron Jones. So how much do you think they're going to have to tweak their offense with him out there? Are we going to see a lot more gap stuff, a lot more counter? Like, is is the outside zone going to take a little bit of a backseat? Well, I think they have to go into the gap stuff a little bit more just with the tight ends that they have. Like, they really yeah. liked using Tanyan as, like, that backside zone blocker so that, you know, hey, you have to honor the run while also, hey, Robert Tanyan's essentially a wide receiver in the passing game, which kind of helped them out in certain situations. Um, DeGuara is a big guy that they like to move across the formation. Like if he's in, he's off the ball. He's usually working across the line of scrimmage, whether it's, you know, split zone or counter or or whatever, he's just moving across the formation. And oftentimes he is kind of the lead blocker, but he's, you know, kind of a lighter guy. Um, they do some of that stuff with Daphne too. Obviously he didn't play in the last game, but that's, that's kind of how I would think about it in terms of the running backs. There are certain things that you wouldn't want Dylan to do relative to Aaron Jones, but Dylan has kind of shown himself to be kind of like an overall back. Like, I think this might be like a hot take wise, but like, I I think the offense would change a whole lot more if Dylan was out than if Jones was out. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's just kind of how they operate. Like Jones, I think Jones's weakness as like an inside runner 
is probably more of a weakness than anything in Dylan's game. The one thing that I will say that probably changes a lot is um, goal line stuff. So because Jones is so athletic and he can just get to the flat so fast out of the backfield at the goal line, I do think that they're probably going to have to run more traditional runs. And we did see that once Jones got out, um, Dylan got his first two rushing touchdowns since the Tennessee game of last year. And then even when Patrick, uh, Patrick Taylor was in there, they were running inside, you know, late in the game when they were in the red zone. So I think th both of those backs are kind of like do it all type of guys. Um, the fact that they can both contribute in the passing game and run inside, I think does kind of like help stabilize uh, whatever's coming out of the backfield. I guess the big question is like, it's, it's two backs enough. Uh, what does Patrick Taylor look like? Cause that's, that's the biggest question I have, right? This is now where you're going to start seeing like Kylan Hill. He he's on injured reserve. So right. let's figure out what the pack practice squad running back. Who's basically been redshirted for a year and a half looks like, cause we're about to find out. Well, and maybe, you know, they, they've, teased the 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 two back look with Randall Cobb where he's running that swing motion into those RPO looks that by the way I love I love that wrinkle maybe Randall Cobb and we Mike McCarthy used to give him the ball like there was a game where they didn't have any running backs I think it was against the 49ers where I think he got like six or eight carries because they just they didn't have anybody else yeah and it's interesting if you look at the snap counts this past week Randall Cobb actually had the second most snaps out of any of the receivers and mm -hmm. You know, up to this point in the season, he was basically wide receiver four. And I know, you know, the Arizona game and then obviously, you know, Jordan Love uh, starting at quarterback. We've kind of gotten wonky offensive situations recently. And then obviously right. this is the first this past game was the first time that we've seen this offense without Robert Tunyon. So it's kind of hard to pin down like personnel wise who they're going to be moving forward. But it's at least worth noting, like Randall Cobb was out there. Um maybe that was like a short week type of situation too. I know LaFleur brought it up today that like the last time Aaron Rodgers even practiced was uh, that Arizona week and they had COVID issues and it was on a short week. So they were basically going walkthroughs the entire time. So Rodgers hasn't really had like a full practice with these guys since what that's three or four weeks ago now. Yeah. So that might've just been a situation where it's like, Hey, he trusts Cobby. Let's get Cobby some reps. Um, but if not, I mean, Randall Cobb being wide receiver two moving forward would be a little bit interesting. It does seem like whenever they are in passing situations, he's kind of their guy. And with Tunyon out, they're not going to get a lot of production from the tight ends uh, position anyway, especially on third down. Doesn't seem like Aaron Rodgers wants to go to Josiah DeGuara either, even on plays that are that are like sneaky designed for him, like the like the interception where he came to him late. He was wide open to start that play and, and Rodgers wasn't able to get it to him. Uh, as as the Packers try and make some decisions here with the offensive line, it looked like Royce Newman was the obvious guy to just say, okay, uh, we've seen enough. And when David Bakhtiari comes back, you're out. And then, of course, he goes out and has his best game of the season against the Seahawks. Uh, what, what, what do you think is the best five moving forward once David Bakhtiari is healthy? I guess the big question is, like, who can flip out to the right side, right? Um, offensive linemen are weird because some of them, they can flip their footwork and it's not an issue at all. And then right. some of them, they struggle big time. Like remember uh, Panay Sewell in the preseason right. playing at right tackle? We were like, oh my God, this guy looks like he can't play. Moves back to left tackle. He looks perfectly fine. We've obviously seen the opposite happen at times where, you know, left or right tackles move to left tackle and it's just seamless. So the big question, I guess, would be like, who can play right guard? El Elton Jenkins is an outlier. Let's not get it twisted. He is right. a unicorn. A hundred percent. So I guess the question is like, yeah, between him, between Runyon, between Lucas Patrick, like which one of them has the best footwork kicking out to the right side? Because obviously none of them have been like mainstays there at that position. So 
I guess that would be the bigger question for me personally. And that's something that you're not really, I, we don't have film of it. So it's hard to make an evaluation of it. That's something that they're going to have to decide in practice. You know, what we do have film of though, is Elton Jenkins at right tackle and Billy Turner at right guard. I'm just saying we, we have seen that. We have seen that. We have, and Billy's been holding down right tackle. Um, he's had probably the best season of his career so far for, yeah. for all the mistakes that, you know, Newman has made, you know, down the stretch. And it wasn't like just the Kansas City game. He's kind of been struggling on it was specifically on stunts and twists, right? Like yep. when it's big on big, he's fine. When things cross his face, that's when it gets a little iffy. And that very well might be like an experience thing. We shouldn't forget that like he's a fourth round rookie um mm -hmm. <laughs> through all this. Like he's still a developmental guy. We shouldn't just cut bait on him. But you know, Billy Turner, if if his head's on straight to to play right guard, um obviously, you know, maybe there's some type of like muddy situation where he wants to play right tackle or something like that. But it seems like by all accounts, like the way he talks about himself, it's like whatever it takes to do right for the team. So if, if that's the situation and he can slide in the right guard, that might not be, you know, that, that, that might work. That very well might work. I think that that is your best two tackles on this team. Uh, but I, I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really not. I mean, Jenkins, you look at the stats, PFF will tell you, they're like, Oh, top 10 left tackle right now. And, that's not even his base position. So I'm sure Jenkins at some point wants to play tackle just in terms of the money. I mean, Quentin That's, Nelson. I was, I was and, just uh, going to say he wants that. He wants that tackle money. And if he gets to play, you know, like if they move him next week to tackle or even this week, he's going to play there the rest of the season and he's going to get, oh, he's going to, he's, he's going to ask back. for that right tackle money. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Quentin Nelson got, got paid a lot of money. The The money between the difference between him and Trent Williams is still a big enough gap where like Elton Jenkins got to be seeing dollar signs. <laughs> yeah. But, oh Yeah. He wants that Lane Johnson contract, not the not the Quentin Nelson contract. And he deserves it. He deserves it. He absolutely does. And and that has been one of the best one of the best Brian Gutekind's picks. One of the best picks from that draft class. One of the best picks, honestly, the last couple of years for the Packers. Justice, this was awesome, man. Uh, I appreciate your insight. Let my listeners know and and my watchers. We're on YouTube now. Uh, where they can find all the stuff that you do because I know it's not just APC. Yeah, so uh, obviously the APC stuff, um, go to Acme Packing Company. We got write-ups on everything that happens, Packers, uh, film breakdowns, all that stuff. We also have a podcast We've, you know, available everywhere. You know, you can find them. And then uh, check me out on the uh, SB Nation NFL show where we kind of do like a national coverage. I, I'm on the uh, Wednesday and Friday shows if you want to hear me talk, you know, nationally, you know, beyond the uh, Green Bay Packers. And you should. You should want to do that. Justice, I appreciate it, man. Anytime, man. All right. I want to thank Justice for joining the show. Always great to talk to him. Uh, super smart guy. Check out all the work that he does over at APC. Go back and listen to his appearance on the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny um, from a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I was really uh, been too long since he had been on, so I, I appreciate him joining us. This is an incredible opportunity that I'm about to tell you about. An incredible app. Everyone needs to know if they buy gas. Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get a bonus 25 cent per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back per gallon. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free and use promo code touchdown to get 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who are driving a lot, they make two to $300 a month in cash back. There's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, e-card, Amazon gift card, whatever you want. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code 
touchdown to get that 50 cents per gallon bonus. And thanks for making Locked On Packers your first listen of the day. Go make Locked On Bets your second, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. And they are hot. They are red hot with their picks. They have, they have been giving out winners for weeks, you guys. For weeks. Two quick things. Aaron Jones. MRI confirms a mild sprain. Mild sprain uh, in the MCL, one to two weeks. So he could be back for the Rams game. More likely, uh, you're looking at post-buy, but but still uh, really good news for him. The other thing is the stock sale is coming. People complain about this, and I don't know why. Very, very quickly. Most franchises, they go to their local governments or their state governments, and they say, give us money. And the state says, cool, new sales tax or something. The the Packers, in fact, did this in Brown County. And sometimes they vote on it. Sometimes they don't. Depends on the local local rules there. And sometimes, like in the case of the Milwaukee Bucks, it is borrowing from the state. The state is giving them money. The state only has money because they have taxpayer money. Not not something that we had a say in. When you use stock sale to raise that money, you are getting the money that you need only from people willing to give it to you. So there are the people that are going to say, okay, well, there is the Brown County thing. Okay, but they would have had to levy a lot more tax, a lot more. And a lot more people to get all the money that they have needed over the years that the stock sale has given them millions, tens of millions in revenue generated from the stock sale that they would have had to, if they wanted to, tax people for. This is better. And what do you care? What do you care if someone spends $300 on a piece of paper that makes them feel good? What do you care? I mean, as as uh, Jen Mack said from, from Game on Wisconsin, I spent tens of thousands on a piece of paper to get a college degree. And the piece of paper is, is the thing. Now, of course, you gain knowledge and experience and all that stuff. But $300 to say that you're a Packers owner, $300 to be able to, to frame something and put it on your wall. If you think it's worth $300, great. And if you want to support your team to help them make these, these capital project raises, I I highly encourage you to do that. And anyone who tells you that it's stupid, tell them to go piss up a rope. As uh as they say. <laughs> I won't even tell you who taught me that. But they they do say that. People do say that. We'll be back tomorrow. How you doing on Wednesday, crossover Thursday, and our live show on Friday. I'll be back in Wisconsin, the glorious state of Wisconsin. So um hit me up. Let's watch. Follow me on, on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube, follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski, follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers, like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.